title of the message tonight is Gates That Matter. Now, start in chapter 1 and verse 1 again, just to refresh and to get our focus this morning. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. So this is his journal. This is him writing out what happened from this moment on. And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, so he's working for the king, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked him concerning the Jews, which was, he's asking concerning his own people that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning the city of Jerusalem. And he said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Now, uh, Nehemiah is a book about rebuilding things, restoring things, not leaving things as they are. Bible-leaving Christianity is, we're not in hiding. Uh, you know, um, I, I think the, the news media, the internet, everything so is designed to wear us out that we don't know how to react. Well, um, the disasters in the world and the troubles in the world um, need to be met with prayer need to be met with people who want to make a difference. Now, you can't fix everything, but you can fix something. And Nehemiah decides to go out and fix something. He tries to fix the walls of Jerusalem that are broken down and the gates that are burned with fire. Remember that in just a moment. Now, we're looking way back. This is 445 years before Jesus is born. That's actually 2,462 years before now. And Jerusalem was in a mess. There are piles and piles of rubbish everywhere, as we've read. Uh, it was a result of their own sin. They had been, they had been uh, surrounded and attacked and ultimately destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar because of their own sin. Now, uh, there, are, there not just was a problem with Jerusalem. Everything that was written in the Bible was written for our learning. So if you, if you find something in the Bible that seems a little strange, put your feet in the shoes and start to realize that these things relate to us, and we're going to look at the gates that were burned down and try to apply them to ourselves, and they are amazing because you don't have to make up anything. You just look at that thing and you go, that's the Christian life, and I'll show you in just a moment. Because so many things are broken today. People's minds are broken. They can't sleep at night. They can't think things through. You can't even talk to somebody without their eyes just glazing over. You notice that? People's trust is constantly broken. Nobody is trustworthy. I'm saying generally. Just people just are not trustworthy. They don't give their word and keep it. People's hearts are broken. People don't know how to be happy unless they've got a drink in their hand. People's faith is broken. They're watching their church fall apart, or they're, they're watching uh, people turn away from God, and so their faith is broken. Society is broken. Marriage is broken. But the truth is, every one of those things are repairable. Everything that breaks, God can fix. You heard Humpty Dumpty, you know, all the Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. You know who Humpty Dumpty was? He was the big fat king uh, in, in, in England at the day. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. So that was a children's rhyme. Remember that when you were a kid? It meant nothing to you. Remember that? What are horses trying to do fixing a king? I don't know. Anyway. So, uh, but that is not the last line. The last line should be, but God could. See, God can put together anything. If you're still breathing, God can fix you. 
As a matter of fact, God can even reach beyond the grave and bring people back to life. So we've got nothing to be discouraged about. We've got everything to be encouraged about. Now, by way of review, we've gone verse by verse, and we've gotten to Nehemiah chapter 7. But we're going to go back to chapter 3 for good reason. I'll show you in a minute. There were three things that everybody was rebuilding in this process. The first thing was they were repairing a long, winding, protective wall around Jerusalem. This wall was uh, three kilometers long, almost four kilometers long, of 15-foot thick walls that were, um, um, uh, they were 21 foot thick and 15 foot high. And these things, this was a lot of work for them. But they were also repairing 10 main gates in the wall. It's no good having a wall if you can't get in or out. But they had 10 main gates in and out of the city. And ultimately, they were rebuilding their nation. They needed their capital rebuilt as a centerpiece of their nation and of their culture. Now, there was more to those walls and gates than just brick and wood. I know you're in Nehemiah. Go to the right and find Isaiah, please. Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 8. Is it 8 or 18? 18. 60 verse 18. Isaiah 60 verse 18. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders. But thou shalt call thy walls what? salvation and thy gates are going to be called praise that's good that's good that's a keeper you know the things that you rebuild can be make such a difference in in your life and and the things that you restore can be a point of praise and so they were determined to rebuild that city and i don't know if you know it or not but uh uh walls are very important they control what comes in and goes out but did you know every home has walls and gates? Did you know that? Normally, when we think of a gate, we think of a garden gate, which will keep anybody out, okay? But that's not, when it talks about gates, it's talking about like we have doors and locks and, and all of these countries that are saying, we need to have open borders. I want to see them live in houses without locks on their doors or windows. So we all have, we all understand, we just don't have big high walls around our houses, thankfully. And we don't have big high walls around our cities anymore, thankfully. But walls and gates are a part of life. They're part of our houses. They're part of our, our culture even. But the human body even has walls and gates. Your skin is a wall. It protects you. Your body has basically five very important gates um, uh, in and out of your body. The ear gate, the eye gate, the nose gate, the mouth gate, and the refuse gate. All right? When these, that's a nice word for it, isn't it? Amen? But when these gates don't work, you become crippled and die. Because you need things going in and out of those gates for you to be working and you to stay alive. Now, these 10 gates kept things decent and orderly in Jerusalem. I thought of this. Uh, if you have several doors going in and out of a, of a shopping mall, okay? And um, uh, there, are, there are people who are delivering groceries, and then there are people who are taking out excess rubbish. They ought to go through different doors, don't you think? All right, that's normal. 
If you have work crews coming in, they come in one door. If you have normal people coming in, they come to another door. So all the gates in Jerusalem had a purpose. And all the gates of your body have a purpose. And all the gates of the Christian life have a purpose. Um, so here in Nehemiah's journal, he dedicates an entire chapter in chapter 3 to repairing and rebuilding the gates and the doors of the city and he's working counterclockwise. So this is, I'll show you, this is sort of, a, a guy uh, created a, a model. It's, it's, in, it's in Jerusalem. He's got the thing sitting there so people could come and look at ancient Jerusalem. And it's, it's a big table, you know, like, you know, it'd be kind of neat to put a train around it. You know, remember when you were a kid and you had to train around things? Anyway, so some of us had a great childhood. So, but he's got this model laid up, set up with the city walls and the gates that are there. And there's another gate and stuff. And these little tiny trees. And what it basically was thought to look like there. And here, Nehemiah is, is going to go and start with different gates and talk about the repairing just of the gates and the walls. And I'm going to tell you why they're important as we go through, because they're very helpful to go, so that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, all things were, were written for our learning, and so I pray we would learn. These would not just be ancient history, but it would be a, a, a challenge to every believer here, for myself, all the way through. God, we've got gates that haven't been used in a long time. We haven't built up any walls lately to protect our hearts and protect our mind, protect our eyes. There are reasons why you gave us a command to have limits, to have things decently and in order, and not just do things like everyone around us. You commanded us to be different. And so, Lord, give us control back of our gates and our walls in our lives. Give us a desire to rebuild what's been broken down by misuse and by abuse. Lord, in this room, there are people who've been run over by the world. They've been hurt deeply. They've given up on you. They've given up on the Bible. They've given up on praying. Lord, I pray you'd encourage them that you're still there. Maybe it was our own doing, probably, probably always is our own doing. We had the wrong idea of what the gate was used for. We had the wrong idea of why to tear down walls when we should be making them stronger. So Lord, we're just going to look at the gates this morning. I pray you help me so it would be practical to your people, especially to the person who's lost, living a lie, having, having uh, no hope without God in the world. Here they are today, sitting in a church, learning to learn about gates 2,500 years ago. There's a reason why they're here this morning. May they hear about Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So a simple diagram of the gates. Starting up here and working all the way around, you'll see all of these 10 gates here. And this is Nehemiah's Jerusalem. And guess which gate he starts at? The one I'm circling. Go to Nehemiah chapter 3. We've already talked about some of this. But Nehemiah chapter 3 really got me started. I said, I just want to study out if there's a pattern to this, and there is. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded first the sheep gate. They sanctified it, and they set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia. They sanctified it in the tower of Hananiel. Now, this was not the main entrance into uh, the capital city was not even the biggest gate either. It was the only entrance into Jerusalem for the sheep from Bethlehem that were up 
to the north, just a few kilometers. Those sheep were brought straight in, if I could show you that map again, straight in from that sheep gate right into the back of the temple that was right there just inside that gate. Now, this is the first gate that he noticed, and this is the first gate that he writes, and it's not by accident that he looks at and he checks on the sheep gate because it is the priority gate. It is the first gate that had to be fixed because the temple, they were trying to get the temple going where, where worship was right and worship was, was, was clean and pure and not do it yourself. Yesterday, Bill and I were, uh, were, Bill, Bill and I were out and uh, we were passing out leaflets for the um, uh, Bible club and the Target of the Heart and saw this guy outside and Bill knows him and was talking to him and uh, uh, said, why don't you come out to church? He's not on. I worship God my own way. And so I looked at him and he says, you can't worship him DIY. Can't worship him your own way. Everybody has a job and you can't just work your own way. You do the way the boss tells you to work, amen? And you go when he tells you to go in. If he lets you work from home, that's great. But not all of us had that privilege. When the boss had a starting time, you were there. When he said you could quit, that's when you could quit. When you join a sports team, they expect you to be with the team, don't they? And when we're Christians, we, we gather together, birds of a feather flock together, we get together, but he was like, no, 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 I worship God my own way. And I thought, I bet a lot of Christians think that too. And that's not true. There are priorities in your life, and you can't just come to God on your own terms. The truth is, you got to come through the sheep gate. You have to come with a lamb. You have to come with a substitute for your own sin. You come as a sinner, you come lost, without hope, without God, and you allow the lamb, a lamb, to be sacrificed, to die in the place of you. If you come to God any other way, you lose. Nobody comes into God except through Jesus Christ. Guess who he is? He's the lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. So that was the priority gate. That was their only, that was their, that was their, only way to make sure that worship was right. You have a gate yourself. You have a gate that, that allows the Lamb of God to come in. It's called your heart. Now, probably, probably, uh, you guard your heart far too well. You don't open that gate very often. You don't open it to any religious things. You don't open it to, to any uh, uh, Bible things, you'll open it to all the horror stuff on TV. You'll open your heart to, uh, to uh, you know, to um, uh, things and, and movies that, that, are, that are ungodly and shouldn't even be seen and shouldn't even be known about, but you won't open it to Jesus Christ? Doesn't that amaze you? It ought to scare us that there's a gate in our life that allows the Lord Jesus Christ to come in and save us. It's called the Sheep Gate. Acts chapter 8 Philip opened his mouth and began to the same scripture and preached unto the Ethiopian eunuch, Jesus. As they went on their way, they came into a certain water. The eunuch said, he, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe where? In thine heart. That God hath raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. So the heart is necessary for salvation. And in, in any one of these things, I want you to understand the Christian, the view of the Christian is I've got gates that I control. And there are too many people where Jesus has been knocking on the door of your heart and you won't let him in. 
Isn't that a shame? There are people in this room who, yeah, you're saved, but he knocks on your heart and he says, hey, you've kind of gotten so busy, I'm on the outside. Can you let me back in? <laughs> we get to where we're somewhere and the Holy Spirit pricks our heart and says, give that person a track. And we go, no. <laughs> and we slam that gate shut. That gate ought to be open. Would you agree? If there's anything that ought to be open to every person in this room, it ought to be to the Lord Jesus Christ working in our lives. First starting with salvation. So this kept their worship going. And our work must begin on making this sheep gate. I know it's a comparison, but the Bible's filled with illustrations. Jesus said, as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so must I be lifted up on the cross. So the things that happened in the Old Testament were pictures, shadows, illustrations of something that's true in the Christian life. So here we're looking at the sheep gate. You know, if you let him in, he'll save you. If you sit there and you just argue with the preacher, I wonder how many of you sit in your seat while I'm preaching, you go, I don't agree. <laughs> what are you doing? You're slamming that gate shut, and I pity you because you're, you're not arguing with me, you're arguing with God. And I'm asking you to open the gate and let him in. Rebuild the gate so there's a time of worship in your life. You don't need to come to church to worship. You ought to worship all day, every day, amen, with an open gate, with an open gate. Then he moves on to the second gate. Go down to verse 3. Now again, we start up here in the sheep gate, and he starts, he runs over, and he's going to counterclockwise. And he works in the fish gate. He talks about the fish gate, verse 3. But the fish gate did the sons of Hesena build, who also laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. Right down next to fish gate. If you wrote down to verse, verse 1, salvation, or the lamb, verse 3, put down purpose. You see, the very next gate that was repaired was a fish gate. Now, what are you, what's that for? All right. Well, this is, this is right next to the fish market in the city, and it was repaired by these guys called the sons of Hassaniah. That's an unknown family. We don't know who they were, but they took to getting um, uh, the fish gate rebuilt. And I want to show you something. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Hold in your place here in Nehemiah. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Jesus finds some fishermen, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. He hadn't, he hadn't uh, made them apostles yet. They weren't even his disciples yet. They were nobodies. They were just doing their job. They were out, just finished fishing. Verse 18, and Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brethren, two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, Casting a net in the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. He didn't want to make them intellectual. He didn't want to make them wealthy. He didn't want to make them happy. He didn't want to make them healthy. He wanted them to be fishers of men, to win people to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this gate is 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 an illustration the first thing that jesus does in the life of a believer after you get the lamb you get fishing one of the best times that you ought to be a soul winner is right after you get saved some of us were that we were absolutely lunatics uh i didn't i wasn't afraid to tell anybody well if you don't get saved you're going to hell i wasn't afraid of i talked to i had a uh i had a teacher she taught um uh she taught photography when i was in in my uh senior year um, at, at secondary school, and so in this class of 30 people, 
she was sitting there talking, there is no God. And uh, then she'd out of the other side of her mouth, she says, but I'm a Catholic and all that stuff. And she would talk and I raised my hand and I said, well, I just found out there is a God. <laughs> I was just brand new. She said, well, you can't prove it. I said, well, I didn't think I had to. I just know that the Bible says, and I started talking and everybody started laughing and everything. But you know what? I wasn't afraid to do it. There was something that just said, speak up. Amen. And the first thing that as soon as you get saved, as soon as you get the Lamb of God, is you go fishing. You go out looking for souls and you bring them in the fish gate. Amen. You go get some more fish and you bring them in the fish gate. And the, the Lord Jesus, when he saw Peter, he says, guys, I know you're great fishermen, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. And that was the highest calling they ever had. Yes, Peter was a, an apostle. Yes, James was an apostle. But you know what? They were first fishermen. And yes, I'm a pastor. Yes, I'm a husband. Yes, I'm a dad. Yes, I'm a grandpa. Amen. But you know what God saved me to be? A fisherman. The only way I'll ever have a, fish, a fishing life is if I open that gate and I go out and I go fishing. Amen. The principle in the picture here is of a Christian who's got a gate that has go fishing over the top of it. We got it over down at the activity center. But there's a sign that says go fishing through this gate. And I keep passing by the gate and I keep going on as I'm busy. Oh, I'm embarrassed. Well, it's not my culture. Well, it's not what we do. That gate is there. I, I don't care if you just got saved. Grab you a gospel track and walk up to somebody that says, you need to get born again. I don't want to see you go to hell. See, I can't do that. Find something else to say, but say something. The next gate that ought to be open in your life and free-flowing is this desire to just witness to people and win them to Jesus Christ. We need this gate repaired. It's broken down. Too many churches all over Ireland are dying. You know why? Because they don't evangelize. They struggle. Uh, we had uh, yesterday, I think we had 15 outgoing soul women. Amen. Absolutely delighted. But where's everybody else? We need this gate repaired where every person in this room says, you know what? I may not be able to do it like pastor. I don't have to, you don't have to be like brother Dan. You don't have to talk like so-and-so, but you've got to do something. I know a, a couple of ladies up in Mallow who, uh, uh, they did kind of unique things. They opened up the phone book, and they posted. This was back when postage stamps were a little cheaper, and they posted gospel tracts to everybody in the, in the phone book in Mallow. Now, I don't know if they're finished yet, but this was years ago, and I thought, they're doing something. They're doing something. They're going through the fish gate, amen? So, we need this gate repaired. How do you get it repaired? We repent. We say, God, give me a heart for souls. We're going to try to get that heart next week, next, yeah, starting next week in the month of August. But getting a heart to go through the fish gate. As soon as you go through the fish gate, there's a lot of fish out there. And they don't want to be caught. Amen? When's the last time you said, well, there are fish that actually do jump in the boat. I've seen those stupid things. What are they? Piranha or something? I don't know. <laughs> but... But uh, I've seen a YouTube where these guys are on the boats and the fish are dropping. I'd love to live there, amen. But most fish don't want to be caught, amen. So you go fishing anyway. Every church needs a fish gate that people are going out and coming back in with fish. With new believers. And that's what soul winning is, folks. I mean, Sunday ought to be a great time where we shout and we say, I, I got to lead somebody to Christ yesterday. Or look who came to church today. I invited them yesterday. Or whatever. I don't care. You think, well, that's, that's bragging. No. Fishermen brag. Now, they usually lie about it, you know. <laughs> but, you know, if you go fishing, you ought to catch a fish. 
Let's get back to fishing. Let's have everybody. You, you, you can't commit to everything, but you ought to commit to being a witness at work, at school, everywhere that you carry a gospel track. That's why this track a day is good for everybody in this room to say, all right, I'm going to force myself. I'm going to remind myself i got to give one out a day because i got to go through that fish gate. Let's keep that gate open and keep going out and bringing people in. Now, the third gate is called the old gate, and that's not just for people like me. Look in uh, verse 6, <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 6. The next gate for the Christian to focus on is verse 6. Moreover, the old gate. I mean, I could have come up with a better, more fancy name than that, you know, the ancient gate. The, I don't know what to call it, but they just call it the old gate. Now watch this. Repaired Jehoiada, the son of Passa, and Meshulam, the son of Besoadiah, they, they laid the beans thereof and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof. Now here's an old gate. Now I'm glad Nehemiah uh, focuses on this gate that's a very ancient gate that had been part of the original city that Joshua 400 years earlier, 500 years earlier, I don't know, maybe 1,000 years earlier. Let me find that point there. Yeah, 1,000 years earlier, Joshua, when he conquered the city of Jerusalem, it was called Jebus back then. And when he conquered it, this was still part of the old wall that the Jebusites had built over their city. And it was still there. And according to, according to the fact that they rebuilt it, it proves it needed to be kept. You see, it was necessary to keep some old things. I want you to think for a second there. How many of you have a, 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 a memento or a, an heirloom or something from your granddad or your grandmother or your great-grandma? I have some things back at home in Texas that my grandfather gave me. My grandfather is a little boy, uh, used to go out into what we call the creeks, the little riverbeds that would, when they would be all dried out, and he would go down there, and he would go kick around those stones, and he would find real live Indian arrowheads. Now, they're worth a fortune. And by the way, you can't even go get an Indian. They're, they're forbidden for you to even take now anymore. But he collected hundreds of them. Guess who's got some? And they, are, they were handmade hundreds of years ago. And my granddad, as a child, was going out there collecting those things. You know, those old things, they may be old to some people, but they're precious to me. They connect me with my granddad. My father is, now he's still alive, but he's got a, a collection of medals that he won and, and, and uh, 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 accomplishments when he was in the military and the Army Corps of Engineers and uh, uh, commendations, things like that. that I, can you imagine just throwing something like that away? Those old things are important. Uh, it was necessary to keep them. Maybe they kept it out of respect. Uh, maybe it was a reminder of their history. You know, kids grow up and they think it's always been this way. We've always had cars. We always had cell phones. That's what every kid thinks, you know. And we've always had the internet. You know, it's just nice to go somewhere and go camping and realize, no, we didn't. <laughs> and some of the old ways are necessary to be kept around. You know, uh, the Bible makes it a very important a command. It says, stand up for the hoary head or the white-haired man. Stand up and honor them. Now, we don't teach that anymore. But it is, it, is, it is when you value that old gate, you say, you know what? We need to value things that are not new. Because the truth is this. We need to keep some old ways. Here's the truth. 
Not everything new is better. Would you agree with that? Oh, I mean, Nita and I, uh, uh, years and years ago, they had different types of, of laundry soap. They came out of this new laundry soap, and I remember she washing it and I putting it on, and my skin went crazy. New and improved, not for me. So things that are all, that, that are all new, you know, you notice, notice things that are new are always smaller and smaller and smaller. Same price, but smaller and smaller. Not everything that's new is better. Um, not all history should be forgotten. Would you agree with that? I think the Irish have lost some of their history. Would you agree? I think they forgot where they came from and what they're trying to do with this country. By the way, Christianity does not revolve around you and your likes and dislikes. What well, I don't like hymns. Well, I don't like the King James Bible. You know, when I got saved, I think I told you this example before, but when I got saved, I thought the King James Bible was so weird. I thought it was so old. I thought I was stepping into Elizabethan, you know, Shakespearean days, you know. So I wanted a newer Bible, and I went and I bought me a couple of them. You know, it's kind of funny. I think, oh, it says new on it. It must be better. I even tried in my hand, and I got me some notebooks, and I started to write my own English Bible. I rewrote the Bible in my own words. I got me a book. Uh, what's it called? It's still on my shelf in there. Hebrew and Greek for the beginner, you know. And um, I was just so arrogant that I just started, I rewrote the book of Genesis, Matthew, Job, Hebrews, Revelation. I sat down and I'm writing this stuff out, you know, the, oh, I didn't say you, da, 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 da. and I was just so arrogantly thinking that I could rewrite God's word, kind of like they want to rewrite the, the Constitution constantly these days. That's a lot of, there was a lot of work that went into that Eighth Amendment. There are a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that went in our Constitution, and everybody that wants to constantly change it worries me. You know, you're, um, uh, uh, if you're a new creature in Christ, an old Bible, I came to find out, by the way, let me talk about this. Uh, I came to find out as I went into Bible college with, with new Bibles and new ideas, I came to find out this old Bible's right. And there are, there, are, there are no translators alive for the last 400 years who can match and compete with the, with the exactness and with the, the vibrancy and the life of the King James Bible. The only thing that you need is not a new Bible. You need a new heart. And you need to make time for it. Because it takes a little while to read. Amen? But once you get it, it's absolutely the best Bible ever. Hey, let's stick with some old ways. Why don't we stick with the old hymns? Amen? Not... Not just say, well, let's get rid of the hymns. Let's, let's just bring up a band. Let's just have some worship. No, we don't need worship. We need uh, hymns being sung. And we need the congregation singing together. And you know what I yearn for? I yearn for people believing in the truth of what's even in a hymn. Where you'd say, amen, during a hymn. Because it's true. Those are truths. You know, stick with some old things like one man, one woman for life. It's kind of old-fashioned these days, isn't it? How about sticking with prayer as a priority instead of performance and entertainment? You know, if I announce next Sunday we're just going to come and have a prayer meeting for church, would you come? Or do you have to be entertained? Do you have to have all of the fluff and everything that goes around? If I just said we're just going to pray. You see, we need the old ways of prayer as a priority. The old ways of emphasizing repentance and, and humility, and not just a pastor patting you on the back. I want to appreciate every one of you. 
for all the things that you do. We have some great volunteers. We have people who do amazing things. But you know what? More important than me trying to make you feel good is when you feel bad and you say, you know what, I'm guilty and I need to get my heart right. That's a better feeling is the desire to get right and to repent. We need the old ways where, where Christians in church are brought to tears about their own sin. That's the old ways. I read of the old preachers when they would stand, and they would stand in a field, and people would come out and throw dead cats at them. <laughs> and they would throw stones at preachers like George Whitfield and other people if you ever got a chance to read about. And as they preached, men out in that audience at 6 a.m. in the morning when he was standing to become to preach, and you'd have hundreds of men, farmers out there listening, and, 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 and not really interested and sort of waiting to go back to work. And then the Holy Spirit would grip their heart and the Word of God would cut them and those men would begin to cry out on their knees and say, God, be merciful to me. Oh, God, help me. That's what we need. That's the old ways. The new ways is, oh, I got such a good feeling from church today. I hope you get a good feeling, but you better get a bad feeling first. You got to stick with the old ways of soul winning. Hi, I'm Craig Ledbetter. I'm, I'm a born-again Christian, and I'm embarrassed. I'm, my knees are shaking in my boots, and I don't know what to say, and I'm going to flubber everything up. But here, would you take a gospel track, and would you read it, and would you consider getting born again? I invite you out to church. Amen. That's the old ways. Well, it's not, it's not the modern way. The modern way uses the radio. The modern way uses the Internet. We try everything, but we stick with the old ways. We keep the old gate open. Amen. Does that make sense? If you're a new creature in Christ, like the Bible says, changed on the inside to love the things that God loves, then stick with the old ways they worked. Worked with me. You know what worked with me? I came in a, a church just like this, and I sat down in the middle section. They called it the sinner section because it was the center section. I sat right in the sinner section there, and I heard preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching. They, they, their singing was fantastic. I didn't understand why they were so happy about but their singing were the hymns, their singing was, was with joy, but that preaching, eight weeks of it, finally cutting me, I wouldn't change a thing. You, you, if you could be transported back 37 years ago and sat at Hilltop Baptist Church and you sat next to me, you'd go, this is a lot like our church over in Ireland. On purpose, I stay with the old ways. I stay with, I keep the old gate open. So they went through the sheep gate, the fish gate, the old gate. Then they came to the valley gate. Look at verse 13. I've got a rush. The valley gate repaired Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah. And they built it and they set up the doors thereof, and the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and a thousand cubits on the wall unto the dung gate. Here's the valley gate. Now the valley gate, they're, they're, uh, this was the gate that led out into a valley. It's actually called the Valley of Hinnom. Let me just scoop right here. This was a gate that led out into a valley. Joshua chapter 15, it talks about this gate being an uh, opening out unto the valley of Hinnom. And that was, a, it was in a rather large ravine where they started throwing rubbish, and they would burn the rubbish. And you know, that valley gate had to pass by that, uh, uh, that bit of valley there. And the point is this, sometimes that's the direction God's people needed to go. Uh, when... when Israel met the Philistines, and they fought. They fought in a valley. Goliath came out of his hillside, and David came off of his hillside, and they met in the valley, and there was a battle there. And there's some times where the Christians got to go through the valley of the shadow of. All right. 
So the valley, of the, the valley gate's the will of God for your life. You've got to be willing to go out that gate. You don't know which way you're going. You don't know what you're going to have to experience. You just know, I've got to go through that gate. I, I don't care where it leads. You know, Abraham didn't have to do that. Where did Abraham have to go? To a land he'd never seen. He had to just follow God. And so in, in illustration, that gate was open to him. He, he didn't block it and says, no, I don't want to do God's will. I want to do my will. You know, that's what kept you from getting saved. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Well, you know, now that I got saved, why would I keep doing my own way? If I'm supposed to go through that valley gate and I'm supposed to even end up in the valley of the shadow of death, so be it. Thou art with me, David says. Because that's, if I'm in the will of God, God's with me. So the point is this. Don't be afraid to go through that gate into the valleys the Lord has for you. It's called a valley gate for a reason. It's not the mountain gate. It's not the entertainment gate. It's not the success gate. You know what it is? It's the trouble gate. <laughs> it's the disaster gate. It's the wake up, you want to run gate. It's a I quit gate. It's a I can't do it gate. And yet you go through it anyway, amen? That's the valley gate for the Christian. Next gate after that, oh, it's a fun gate. Everybody wanted to rebuild this thing. Go down to verse 13 now. We'll come to a word that the valley gate repaired Hanum, and we read this, but I want you to see the word at the end. And the inhabitants of Zenoa, and they built it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and a, and a thousand cubits on the wall unto the dung gate. There's a yucky thought. <laughs> but you know, the truth is, this was a very necessary gate in the city. This is actually the dung gate. <clears throat> uh, there, were un there were no underground sewage pipes in those days. People had to hand carry out their wastes. You can't just leave it around, amen? Try not flushing your toilet for a day. It was through this gate that all forms of dung were carried out of the city and dumped uh, on a pile of rubbish that they burned right on the side of the Valley of Hinnom. Now, there weren't a lot of people who built it. Verse 14, the dung gate repaired one guy. <laughs> Only one volunteer. Malchiah, the son of Rechab. Now, there's a lot of history. I just wish I could take the time to tell you about him, but he's the descendant of a very godly family who were saved by moving into Jerusalem and uh, by trusting the God of Israel, and so he's willing to do the lowest job. You know, I appreciate, I appreciate, and, and I've tried to live it, and I'm not great at it, but I have a desire that I'll always do anything I need to do. I'm not too saved. If you understand what I'm, I'm not so saved that I can't clean a toilet and I can't go and help somebody and, and mow their grass and that I'm not so saved that I look down and I say, well, you do it. There are times when I have to delegate, but there's nothing beneath me if I'm saved. And you know, if you're born again, there ought to be nothing beneath you that you won't do for the Lord Jesus Christ, even if it means carrying out dung. Amen. You see, every city needed a place that you took the dung out, and it wasn't where people came in. It was always one direction, amen? <laughs> and the dung gate for the Christian, I'll talk about it in a second. Better stay with my thought here. The dung gate is something that needs to be, needs to be rebuilt. What's it used for? Um, it's what repentance is. It's a decision for you to hate your sin and to purge it from your life. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, hold in your Nehemiah. <clears throat> Hebrews 9, 14. 
Hebrews 9.14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God as our Lamb, how much more shall he purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You know what he does to the, to the thoughts that used to haunt you and what he does, does to the conscience that used to bring you shame and guilt and embarrassment and defeat? You know what he does to all those thoughts? He purges them. He takes them away, puts them under the blood. You know, when the devil tries to remind you of stuff that ought to bring you down, you just tell him, I'm trying not to remember that. <laughs> Amen. You can purge it. We read in Colossians, talking about putting off something. You know, if you put off something, you ought to put it so far away from you, you don't pick it up again. And that's what, when you see, go to uh, Philippians chapter 3. Now ah, we get to where I wanted to go. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3. There, there, there are some people in this room and a lot of people all over Christianity who want to have new Bibles. And I always ask them, will you update this verse? <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. What does that mean? At a loss. I, every time I touch it, I lose. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I do count them but all right, try to update that word for me, will you? No, no, it's good enough for me. I count everything in my life outside of Jesus Christ as what? And if it's got to go, then it's got to go. And Lord, sometimes I lay it on your heart, put down the cigarettes. And you're never going to put down the cigarettes until you see it dung. Would you smoke dung? Hope not. Would you drink dung? You see, when you start to see the stuff you see on television as filthy as God sees it, you might turn it off. Amen? You, you might just say, it's got to go out. Get it out the dung gate. Most Christians are so full of sin, there's no place for the Holy Spirit to work. Amen? There's none. And it's, it's just a grief to the Holy Spirit to even be present in your life because you just put up with, you don't open the dung gate and get anything out. That doesn't mean you're ever going to be where you don't have any sin. But listen, sin just shows up in our life, comes into our head, enters our heart, just comes out of nowhere. You know what you do? You go to the dung gate and you dump it. That's called repentance. And until you're willing to every time something pops up in your head, every time an image cups up in your thoughts, any time an attitude tries to raise up and become dominant in your, in your thinking, you need to take it right out to that dung gate and throw it out. You need to keep that dung gate open, wouldn't you agree? You need to keep it repaired, keep it... Keep it so um, as soon as you sin, you repent. Amen? It doesn't take very long to get right. It just takes you wanting to get right. Amen? Dung gate. After the dung gate, they come around to a fountain gate. Look at verse 15. Back there in Nehemiah chapter 3. But the gate of the fountain repaired on and on, the locks and the bars. Thereof, so on and so forth. I just well, let me finish. I, I have to read this because I want to show it. The gate of the fountain repaired Shalom, the son of Kohose, the ruler of the part of Mizpah. He built it and he converted it and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof and the wall of the pool of Siloah. Now that in the New Testament becomes Siloam by the king's garden and under the stairs that go down from the city of David. We're now at the fountain gate as we're going around. Now the fountain gate is is uh um. There were, there were freshwater fountains under Jerusalem that fed into pools used for water inside the city. 
River water is okay to drink if you're really desperate, but what's the better kind of river, uh, kind of water to, re- to drink? Well water, fountain water, water that comes out of the ground because it's been filtered, amen? So this was clean, fresh, filtered water from deep underground, and it, it, was fee- it fed into, uh, the, the, there was an underground river that fed into the pool of Siloam that's famous in, in Gospel of John. And this was where there was drinking and special water um, uh, for, for washing, special washings. And this gate accessed that fountain that was right outside of the city. Now you go, you go into Cork City, and what's the uh, Berwick Fountain? Is that what it's called? Berwick's Fountain is right there off of Tucky Street and Oliver Plunkett Street. That fountain there, now that's, an in, that, that's actually um, uh, inside the city walls. And that's kind of like, it wasn't that fancy or anything, but there was just this water coming up. And there was this, this trench around it, and the women would come, and they would scoop up the water and take it home. And this was a constant flowing water fountain. And here's the truth. There's, this is a picture of letting the Holy Spirit flow freely in your life. Man. Jesus, go to John chapter 7. Gospel of John chapter 7. I've got about three hours worth of study to give you that I can't give you. I'm just going to race you through some of these things and give you some thoughts so that you go away going, wow, I got a lot of messed up controls in my life. I don't have doors open I should have, and I don't have walls built that I should have. So we take this seriously. John chapter 7. Down towards the end there. Verse, uh, verse 37, in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Now, it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 38. He that believeth on me, out of the scripture, hath said, Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, fresh living water. But this spake he of who? Of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. You know, there's something important about, about having a, a, a gate, a door that's open between you and the still, small, quiet voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, when, when I go upstairs and Nita's down in the kitchen, invariably she'll say something. And I, can, I know that... Now, there's nobody in the house, so guess what? Are you talking to me? <laughs> I hope she's talking to me, amen. But there's all of these walls and doors between us. I can't hear her. And I always give out to her, and I says, wait a minute, she's talking. She keeps talking. I'm coming. I can't hear you. Wait till I get down there. The point is this. The Holy Spirit's talking, and we have our doors closed. We can't hear him. We know. We come to church, and we feel the rumblings of the Holy Spirit. We feel the pull, but we can't hear the voice. You know why? Because the gate's closed. We don't have a time in our week where we shut down, shut up, sit down, and just listen and pray and quietly wait for the Holy Spirit to speak and to guide us. This is a picture of having a door that lets the Holy Spirit, like flowing water. You go out that gate, and there's that flowing water, and you just say, boy, fill me. Give me something today. Are we not commanded to not be drunk with wine so that we can be what? filled with the Spirit. Amen. Satisfied. The most happy people on this planet are the people in this room because you're filled with the Spirit of God. You can sing, thank God, praise God, even though you're going through hell on earth. Amen. Because the filling of the Holy Spirit is unmatchable. So, 
You dump off all those sins, and then you can drink from a clear fountain. You know it would be wicked? You know it would be awful for you to, to try to get the Holy Spirit to work on your life? Try to read your Bible? Try to, try to come to church, and you just got stuff going on inside your head that you won't repent of? It's time for you to repent, get that out, so that you can get a cool, clear, clear drink of water that just satisfies. Aren't you tired of how the world doesn't satisfy? Aren't you tired of just, just sitting? And, and Facebook's designed that way. You start looking at Facebook, and you never get satisfied. Something's got to be here. Hour later, you take a drink from the Holy Spirit, and you can run for days. The next was called the water gate. Now comes the bath. Look there in uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 26, back in Nehemiah, 326. Moreover, the Nethanims dwelt in Ophel, and the place over against the water gate toward the east, and the tower that lieth out. They were building this. After them, the Tekoites repaired together another piece over against a great tower that lieth out even unto Ophel. Now, this gate was built by the Tekoites. I can't go into the time. They were a, they were a hard-working group. But they were, it opened out into a, to a little river, a brook called Kidron, where the general population went out to get water to bathe in. There's only so much water coming out of the fountain, so you didn't bathe in that water. You bathed in the water that came out of the river water, Kidron. So you got two different sources of water. And the Word of God is our source of washing. I need you to go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Wherewithal shall the young man cleanse his way? How do you wash out your bad habits and your way of life? By taking heed, by obeying, taking heed unto thy word. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the... All right. So, you know, when you've, if you come to the Bible and it's dead to you, if you come to church and it's boring to you, if the hymns are out of step with you and all this stuff, I got news for you. There's sin in your life because these things resonate with the Spirit of God. These things are part of the kingdom of God, not of this kingdom of this world. So if that's true, then there's something you need to get right in your heart. You need to get it out you need to ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and then take a good long bath in the Word. How long should I read my Bible? Until you feel clean. Until your heart's back flying above the clouds. Until your hope is in Jesus and not in anything else. You read, that's why one chapter a day may be all somebody can handle, but wow, one chapter a day is like a quarter of a cracker. I can't survive on a quarter of a cracker. I need some sustenance, and I need a good bath from the Word of God. Every Christian needs access to a good bath on the inside. We often neglect to get the water of the Word and only take dry bath. Can you imagine? Some of you uh, 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 may understand what I'm talking about, but when you're uh, in the military, they teach about dry baths, and that's where you get sand and you rub it all over on your skin. You kind of scrape it around. It just takes some of the smell away, but it sure doesn't make you clean. I... When, when, when you go without time in the Bible, no matter what you do, you're just going to just grime and, and yuck is going to build up all over the inside of you. You may look nice on the outside, but we can see there's something filthy on the inside. 
We need to let the Word of God wash through us and over our thoughts, over our worries and our frustrations. If you worry more than two days, I'm telling you, you're not reading your Bible right. Amen. Amen. Your water gate is your time just reading the Bible. That's, make that gate open. Then he goes to the horse gate. I just, I just got to quit. Verse 28, he mentions above, from above the horse gate. The horse gate is a unique, unique gate, and uh, basically it was for the king to use. Now, the horse is the strongest, most versatile work animal for sure, but the Jews didn't have horses. They had mules, or they had their own feet and their own backs. So horses were kept for one great purpose. It was for the king and his men to ride upon. The same is true in the Christian life. You see, our horse gate is prayer. You see, take your Bible. This is just too good for me to miss. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1.29, show you a, a, a crazy, crazy truth. Colossians 1.29. We're into I, Paul, talking, I also labor, striving according to, I strive according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. I can't run very fast, but if I got on a horse, I could go pretty fast, would you agree? <laughs> All right, here's the point. Our horse gate. Is a gate is a place of prayer. It is it is uh, it is a um, it is a place where the the power of prayer takes place. For example, when when the king, which we're going to talk about the eastern gate in a second, but when the king got uh, needed his horse, the horses were brought out of the horse gate. He got on it and he went to battle and he went to fight. And if there's any time in the Christian life that that we need prayer is when we need god to do something and the horse gate is the lord is sitting there waiting he says i'm not going to go to battle till you pray does anybody understand what i'm saying there are things that god will not do in your life until you open that gate and you get on your knees and you cry out to god and you ask for him to do something he says all right now i'll get on my horse and now i will go to battle for you you see i can't do anything i can't even i can't resist the devil but i can submit to god and when I submit to God and I cry out to God and I lean upon God and I put all my trust and my hope in Him, He gets on His horse and He takes care of my enemies. Amen? So the horse gate is me making sure I get that, that working in me, that, that power of God working through me. I work as He works through me. And that comes only by prayer. <clears throat> we forget that. How broken is your prayer gate? Do you even use it? Is it something you use only when... You know, use only under extreme circumstances. <laughs> After that, you come to the East Gate. And this is the most famous gate. Probably the most exciting gate for any Christian. This is a gate that led exactly east to the east from the temple. Right behind, and these gates are still there, right behind those doors is the temple, or what's left of it, what would have been left of it. It led to a path that had a garden in it where Jesus prayed. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Right outside that east. So in Jesus' day, people were coming and going through that eastern gate. Now this was the gate. This was a gate that the king entered after a battle and returned to sit down on his throne in victory. But right now, even to this day, this gate is sealed shut. But one day, hallelujah, that gate is going to open for the king. Listen to Ezekiel 44. I'll just read this. 
Then he brought me back the way of the gate of the outward sanctuary, which leadeth toward the east, and it was shut. Then said the Lord unto me, This gate shall be shut. It shall not be opened, and no man shall enter in by it, because the Lord, the God of Israel, hath entered in by it. Therefore, it shall be shut, because it is for the prince. Notice that, the prince. Well, the prince is our Messiah. Because Jesus, one of these days, is going to break down that gate and going to walk straight into Jerusalem, riding on that white stallion. One of the main themes of the whole book of Ezekiel is that gate being, re, being, being broken down. Now, Matthew 24, verse 27 says, As the lightning cometh out of the east, lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So, here's the point. The eastern gate is the look and the yearning of the believer for the soon coming of the Son of God, for His kingdom, for His bride, and His church. Think about it. Do you ever wake up, look out the window, and go, maybe today? Maybe today. I see a cloud. Okay, we're in. <laughs> he has to come with the clouds. Philippians 3 says, For our conversation, what we talk about is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior in heaven. We look for Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to change our vile body that it may be fashioned unto His glorious body. Paul says this, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but also to all them that love is appearing. You know, I'm hoping to get some rewards in heaven. I mean, heaven is great. I'm glad I'm going. But you know what? I can live my life where he'll say, well done. And there's a crown just for looking for him to come back. It's called the crown of righteousness. I wonder if looking for his coming actually keeps me clean. I wonder if it just keeps me so I just stay out of trouble because I don't want to get caught right in the middle of it. Keep that gate open. Keep looking towards the east and keep saying, I wonder if the Lord's coming back today. I look forward to it. Lord, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. The last gate is called the inspection gate or the judgment gate. This thing, we've gone all the way around that thing. This is like a picture of the Christian life. Isn't that funny that God would have a, a city uh, 2,500 years ago and it would illustrate all of the inner workings of the Christian life. Well, this is the judgment gate. Look at verse 31, 32. Still talking about all the different guys who were repairing. The last guy, and after him, repaired Malchiah, the goldsmith's son, unto the place of the Nethanims and the merchants, over against the gate, Mithcad. Now, that's a Hebrew word. I'll explain in a second. Into the going up of the corner. And between the going up of the corner, back into the what gate? They're back in the sheep gate, repaired the goldsmiths and the merchants. So we're talking about this Mafkad gate. This was the gate where people from all over Israel could line up and enter a courthouse just inside the city where their cases would be heard and judged. Sometimes it led into a courtyard where the courthouse had been knocked down or whatever. But you ever heard of a courtyard? All right, a courtyard was a place where people would gather and judgments would be brought forth by a magistrate or something. It was a, an official place, and this was very official for them. For the Christian, it reminds us of the day that one, that one day we're going to stand and we are going to be judged. And that gate, you better, you better be ready to go through that gate. Hebrews 9.27 says, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one of us, according to the Christians, may receive the things done in his body, according to he hath done, whether it be good, or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, Paul goes on, we persuade men. We persuade men. Be ready for that day. 
So be ready to pass through that gate. How do you get ready to go through that gate? Well, I would be kind of concerned about what I'm not concerned about. You ought to repair, to repair that judgment gate is to say, if I'm going to have to face God for some of my past, I better repent of my past. I better put it under the blood. I better put it off and not pick it up again. Know that I'll have to pay the consequences of such a flippant life that I am so used to living. So it ought to terrify me. It ought to persuade me to live differently. Purge out that sin, go to the dung gate, throw it out the dung gate, (laughs) and be ready at the judgment gate. Be ready for the Lord to call me home. Because one of these days, your heart could stop. Anything could go wrong. And you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and you don't want to be unready. You don't want to be unready. Then you can hope to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. All right. A lot of stuff. Ten gates. They control what came in and out of the city. They control what comes in and out of your life. Do you have any control over what you watch on TV? Do you have any control of what your kids are doing on their phone? Do you have any control of where your feet take you on a Friday night? Do you have any control of what your brain is thinking about at any one time? Do you have any control at all? God says, get some gates, get some walls, rebuilt, repaired, make sure they're the right ones. These gates kept things decent and orderly in Jerusalem, and they're part of your Christian life now. You know what? Every gate is under the control. Every gate in your life is under control of you. I can't control my circumstances, but I can control how they affect me. Question is, are your gates even working or controlled? If not, your life will fall apart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, best ways I know how. I've tried to help people understand there's a picture in the Old Testament. and I pray they get it. It shows our lives that we have control of. We always are so frustrated trying to figure out how do we stop somebody from hurting us? How do we stop things from going wrong? But we can't. But we can control how they affect us. And we control how we respond and which gates we go through and what we do through them. And there are proper ways to live. There are proper ways to love, proper ways to forgive, proper ways to repent. All laid out here in the Bible. I just got to see it as different functions, things I got to do. I can't just go to church. Amen. We entered into his courthouse. We entered into his gates with singing, praise the Lord. But do we have a lamb? Did we get the lamb? Has everybody in this room ever allowed Jesus Christ into their heart? Believed on him with all their heart? All of these things. It's a lot, but it's life. I pray we take it seriously now. Let every Christian make a decision. Lord, help me be aware of the gates that are broken in my life, and let me rebuild them. In Jesus' name, amen.